Hello and welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. In 2008, Catherine Hardwick did something remarkable. She directed a teen romance about a human named Bella who falls in love with a vampire named Edward. The movie, Twilight, based on the book of the same name, cost $40 million, but it made $400 million at the box office. She's just directed a new short form series for the Quibi streaming service that stars a teenage girl called Don't Look Deeper. It's set in the near future in a world where technology leads us to ask the question, what does it mean to be human? I talked to Hardwick about the potential for short form TV series, about what it will be like returning to movie theaters when we're through with coronavirus quarantines, and about her relationship with tech, including her Alexa speaker and her Tesla. And of course, I asked her about her obsessions. So first of all, thank you so much for joining us in conversation today. May I ask, how are you spending quarantine? Uh, well, corn, the fun part is on my new e-bike, a uh, mountain bike, <laughs> and I'm going up mountain bike riding in the hills all around uh, Santa Monica and West Side. And so that's fun. And then the other part is being inside and focusing on writing and new series and new projects. So in trying to be creative and, you know, draw and, you know, go to protest and learn and educate everything. So. And your bike riding is in the real world. You're not doing virtual in front of no, a screen. No, no, real world, real skinned elbows and stuff like that. Yeah, real dirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great to good to hear. Well, I'm interested in talking to you about not just the work that you've done as a director, but some of the projects you've chosen to work on, including uh, a new series that you've put together for Quibi. But before I get there, I was uh, I'm a UCLA Bruin as well, and I was fascinated yeah. to see trained as an architect went into production design and then film school. And I'm curious, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Um, when I was a kid, I was actually living on the Rio Grande River in South Texas. And I was out there on rope swings and paddling around in boats and swimming across the river. And I, uh, I didn't, I don't think I knew really what I wanted to do. I was just like living, I was just really in the moment, I think. <laughs> and suddenly um, in my senior year, I went and took this test and they told me at the end that I had a strong aptitude for structural visualization and uh, memory for design. And, you know, architecture could be something good for me. And I went to architecture school and honestly, the first moment I was there, I felt like I was just in heaven. I found my bliss. I loved being an architect, you know, being an architect and drawing and designing buildings and solving problems. So uh, that little test I took was right, actually. Well, how do you make the leap from there to want to direct movies? So um, at the end of my senior project, after five years in architecture school, you know, you work really hard, 20 hours a day and stuff. I did my thesis project. I presented it. I dressed up like the building. I had different layers and pull off a jacket and show you this and that and had solar energy and all these crazy stuff. And at the end, the teachers, the, all the professors were like, oh my God, you are being too creative for architecture. They're never going to accept <laughs> any of this crazy 
that you've come up with. And I'm like, but what? It's all real and all this. And they said, you should see if you could think of another field that encourages creativity. And at the time I thought, wow, maybe the film business does encourage creativity. Now at the time I didn't know about things like, you know, uh, sequels or, you know, IPs or, you know, all that. And I, I thought that I could go to UCLA architect, um, animation school and just get to make really crazy animated films. And uh, so that's what I did. I went to UCLA. Okay. So I have to ask you, you obviously love movies. What were there movies when you were swinging in the Rio Grande that you would go home and want to watch? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is the other funny thing where I'm from. It's, it's um, pretty much, you know, South Texas and it was, you know, a little bit culturally uh, like deprived in some ways. So mostly what we would have would be like Westerns. So I would see like the Clint Eastwood movies and stuff like that, which I love those too. And I've been lucky enough to production design two Westerns, Posse and Tombstone and get to direct an episode of Hell on Wheels, you know, so that was with horses and everything. But um, so that was mostly what I grew up with, but Westerns are pretty exciting. So I guess it's not so bad. <laughs> no, Westerns are wonderful. Destry Rides Again is one of my favorites. So maybe not traditional John Wayne Western, but a Western yeah. nonetheless. Let's talk about a project that you've been working on that is about to go live. Don't look deeper. It's the an example of the short format films that Quibi, this new platform that wants people to engage in this kind of, you know, more mobile, more accessible filmmaking has um, invested in. You are the creative force behind the series. Let's, let me start by asking, what is the appeal of the short form platform to you as a, a way to tell stories? Well, for one thing, I think it does go along with my lifestyle and a lot of people's lifestyle. Sometimes we just cannot commit to sit down or even stay awake at night, you know, for an hour show or a two hour movie. And you just want something to like, just change your palate and like take you to a different place from your work day and be able to go to sleep and dream about something new. So something short is kind of exciting. I like that part of it. Um, I like the 10 minutes, but once all the episodes are out, you can view it as a full, you know, piece, you can binge watch it. And, and in our case, after it's about two hours and then you're done. Yay. <laughs> and uh, you've got a complete sort of story. So I like that. And then I like the challenge because I've always liked to read uh, things in chapters and, you know, some many innovative writers write chapters in a nonlinear way or they one chapter will be from the perspective of, of one um, character and another will be from another character. And you're always having a little bit of a challenge to figure out, you know, where am I in the story? And, you know, is it linear? Is it nonlinear? So the, this idea of telling this in 14 chapters, you know, gave some freedom to that uh, storytelling. So I had an opportunity to see a, of the first few episodes. And I'll just say, um, you know, without any spoilers, it, it's about technology and artificial humans, but really about what it means to be human, at least on the first four episodes that I've seen. Yeah. But why don't you describe the story to us? I think that's right. I mean, it 
in some ways it's similar to other films that I've worked on, like 13, for example, where you have a teenage girl who is trying to figure out who she is, like exploring her own identity. In that case, Evan Rachel Wood was, um, before she was in Westworld, <laughs> she was uh, trying to figure out, am I like the good girl? Am I like the, the wild girl? Am I going to be popular? Am I going to be nice to my mom or just be on my own independence? And, you know, those early um, stages of your life, you're trying to, you know, discover who you are. It's the first time you ever get a chance to drink or smoke or drive a car or kiss a girl or kiss a boy. So it's exciting, volatile moments. So on one level, we have our character who's played by Helena Howard going through all those things that a teenager goes through. But when she's struggling with her own identity and something seems a little bit off, suddenly she finds out that it's really way more off than she thought. She is not, you know, uh, like the rest of us. <laughs> Okay. I think, think I think that's fair to start. So we will let people engage and watch it and find uh, out for themselves what happens. Um, you've been talking about, you know, working on this uh, series and you said, um, quote, I'm intrigued with our love-hate affair with technology and how that affects our humanity. And so I'm curious, what, what do you love about technology? What do you hate about technology? <laughs> oh, well, I would say hate is a strong word, but, you know, obviously we get frustrated. We, we just believe it, that technology, you know, every, our fabulous computers and our iPhones are going to do everything. So right when they don't work for us anymore for a moment, probably our own fault, then you get so frustrated and you want to kill them. And, you know, no, why did I rely on this for everything? And now I can't even find anybody's phone number or my way out of a paper bag, silly things like that. But I feel like, you know, on a deeper level, people have a fear. I don't know if it's rational of how far AI can take us or how much we need to worry about it. Yes, sometimes when your Alexa says, when my Alexa said to me the other day, uh, we haven't been properly introduced. And I've had Alexa for like two years. I'm like, what do you mean we haven't been properly introduced? And do you want to hear a joke? No, I'm on the way out. You know, is is the is your AI device too intrusive? But then sometimes I want it to do 10 times more. I want my um, um, car, my Tesla to park itself <laughs> so that I don't have to stress out over parking. <laughs> so there's so many, you know, different interactions that we have every day. I think it's kind of, uh, you know, just... A discovery every day of how far it sh you like it to go, how far you want it to go. I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> no, of course it does. I mean, you also sound like you're pretty tech savvy. I mean, you drive a Tesla, you have an Alexa smart speaker in your house, you mentioned your iPhone. I mean, that already puts you <laughs> a little bit ahead of the standard crowd in terms of technology. So um, what's your favorite piece of technology? Is there something that you rely on too much? Maybe it's the Alexa, maybe it's the iPhone. I don't know. Well, definitely the iPhone. We know we just all just can't live without it. It's kind of embarrassing. And if you're offline for two seconds, ah, what did I miss? Um, but even so, you know, I'd be happy if it could even do more for me. <laughs> well, that's that's great segue to my next question, which is what piece of technology, if you could have something invented for you, what would it be? What would you want it to do? 
Well, I would definitely have the Tesla take it to the next level, which you see a little bit in our show. Uh, you see the self-drive. I know it's not quite allowed you know, in normal, uh, it's allowed on the freeway now in California, but I would be happy if my car parked itself and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> did more, more things and then just talked to me and just, I'd be happy if it would just babied me and pampered me more. Uh, have you changed the, um, just out, out of curiosity, on your iPhone, a lot of us, right, use voice assistants. And Siri, some people change their voices to men or women with accents. Are you a straight Siri user or have you gone and modified it? Right now, it's just straight Siri, but I would like to have, you know, a more comical person, I think, on there. I'd like to have a comedian's voice, so maybe maybe I do need to change it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. While we're talking about technology, let me just ask you, we're all at home binge watching things like Quibi, for instance, and Netflix and, you know, pick your favorite streaming service. And there's been a lot of discussion during this extraordinary time that we're living in, whether we will even go back to the theater. And you have directed some very notable movies. You mentioned a few, but I'll also add uh, Twilight, the Twilight series, which I'm definitely going to ask you about shortly. But this idea that we can consume content anywhere, anyhow, people have big screens at home. It's very expensive to go to the theater, uh, you know, health issues aside right now. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this idea of, you know, the binge watching world and what it might look like in the not too distant future? Well, you know, of course, part of me, just even if you talk about Twilight, just remembers like the first screenings I went to of Twilight that would not have been the same if we just were streaming it online at home because there was a collective feeling that was just so exciting of having other fans there screaming and loving it and laughing and interacting with the screen. So that communal feeling, uh, is something extraordinary and really special, you know, that you have with a, you know, big fun event movie or even a a smaller movie that's just, even with my movie 13, you know, you could see that and you could be in the theater and you could hear people next to you crying at the end and feeling the emotions and it allowed you to feel those emotions. So I think that's one thing we miss. I mean, I know there's cool stuff like you can watch Christopher Nolan's movies on Fortnite with other people around the world and you get a little bit of that collective experience of reacting to the film in a group setting. I mean, it's probably not quite the same as, you know, being, uh, you know, the good old days of Rocky Horror where you could throw your popcorn at the screen and stuff like that. So I think there's, you know, I, I hope that we can just keep, you know, both things going, you know, have be able to have those experiences, be able to go to drive-ins and have fun experiences now, I guess, during COVID and, uh, you know, have some of the group experiences that make it so much fun. It sounds like you're optimistic, though, that it will come back. This will not kill off that movie-going experience. I think people still like to, you know, be around other people. So, and, and movies are fun. I mean, you can just be so emotional and yell at the screen and, you know, <gasps> grab the other person's arm and scream if it's scary, you know, so that's, that's kind of fun. I don't want to not have that. Okay. Well, that said, are you looking at some of these new kinds of storytelling that people are 
looking to tech to help provide augmented reality VR experiences. I mean, even shooting um, an episode for Quibi or even a movie on your iPhone, which some people have already started to do. Is that something that interests you? I think it's very interesting. My next, um, one of my next projects is a Snapchat series. And, you know, Snapchat is pretty innovative in all of their VR stuff, AR stuff, and all kinds of great stuff. So I'm excited about that. I love, you know, every Comic-Con when we used to be able to go to Comic-Con. I love to go to all the, you know, VR and AR experiences and things. So, you know, I hope, um, yeah, more, I hope to get involved in more of that too. Let me um, rewind and ask you about Twilight. And the reason um, I have two kids who were big fans of the series when it came out here in Silicon Valley, you could hardly go anywhere and people weren't reading one of the books or by people, I mean teens. They were totally fascinated Mm -hmm. with it. You made a movie on a budget of less than $40 million that made $400 million, which congratulations, that's spectacular. And I was really disheartened to read that after you made that movie, it gave rise to a lot of other series like The Hunger Games and Divergent that had a a female protagonist at the center. People were interested in those kinds of movies, but that they were all then directed by men. And I read that you were really encouraged and optimistic when Patty Jenkins made such a success of Wonder Woman that it would turn the tide. So my question for you is, has it? I think it has in a lot of ways. I mean, look at Gina Prince Blythewood just directed The Old Guard, and that was really successful on Netflix and really well made and beautiful. And so um, Gina getting that opportunity is fantastic. And, you know, I think that, you know, obviously we still, it's still disproportionate, the opportunities for women, but it's getting better. I mean, the fact that we can even talk about, you know, two, three, four movies that's, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking positive for sure. What do you like about being a director? I mean, you talked about the visual aspects of it, which obviously are extremely important to visual storytelling. But, um, you know, I always think of being a director as like managing a three ring circus, right? Uh, there's lots of pieces to bring together. It's a logistics job. There is a creative part. It's managing personalities, some pleasant, some difficult. But why don't you tell us, what is it like being a director? Uh, For many years, obviously, women were excluded from that role, although early Hollywood certainly had women directors that, that, uh, you know, history has seemed to have forgotten. But yeah, talk a little bit about just the process and why you think it's an exciting thing to you and why it would appeal to other women. There are the logistics side. There is the uh, personnel management side, which most of us have not been trained in if we didn't go to business school, which I sometimes wish I'd got an MBA so I'd know how to deal with all these personalities. But, and, and, you know, some of them are, and, you know, everybody is like a lot of beautiful artistic personalities, you know, from your production designer, your costume designer, your, your um, cinematographer, your actors, you know, each one of them, you almost want to, it's handmade care of how to deal with the person and bring out the best in them. But still as a director, you have to have your vision guiding the ship because I know from the other side, when I was a production designer, sometimes I would have like 
actually super wild, crazy ideas that I thought were just the coolest things ever. They may not have been on point with what the director wanted. So the director sometimes had to rein me in like, whoa, you know, back to earth here. And they had to get a unified vision so that the film feels like, you know, there's one tone and one vision. But what I love, that was your original question. All those things are challenges. But the fun part is for me, one of them is collaborating with other creative people. Um, in this case, you know, we had Helena Howard, Don Cheadle, super creative and, you know, great, you know, point of view, Emily Mortimer, all the uh, musicians, uh, Nora Kroll Rosenberg. We have a female composer who is just a badass and she, you know, she had beautiful ideas. And so every element, you know, that's really fun. It's like, you know, I'm not a musician, but, you know, being in a jam session where each artist can bring in, you know, when somebody plays a bass line, that inspires the other one, the next one, and the next one. That's kind of when it's really great to be a director. And then, of course, the bottom line, you know, finding truth in behavior and feeling like you're bringing these moments of high stakes and, and drama and compassion to life. I don't think this is a spoiler, but in the first episode of uh, Don't Look Deeper, one of the most effective scenes to me, or one of the scenes that I thought affected me the most, was that uh, there's a moment where someone who can't hear has some technology, you know, um, you know, dropped into her ear that will finally make her able to hear. And it starts with a violinist playing, but there's no sound. And then the sound comes up as her hearing comes up. And I just thought that was an amazing way well, to tell that experience. Yes, I thought that was beautiful, too. And that was a perfect example of collaboration with our sound designer, Frank Gaeta, who I've worked with before, even on Twilight and 13 and stuff, where, you know, he's like, I want to feel like what it would feel like when that chemical goes in an ear and the crackling and just that uh, discovery process. So that was a very cool, magical moment. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, are you working on, I, I read that you were working on a new TV series as the director, executive producer that is based on a, a very popular four book series, a fantasy series called The Raven Cycle. Is that still something you're working on? Oh, I love The Raven Cycle, uh, Maggie's Maggie's books, but I don't think it's, it's kind of uh, stalled right now while she's doing some other things. So we hope maybe we can re restart it but that is a very cool project and I, I love the books and she's such a great write, fun writer all right well hopefully i'll be able to talk with you about that in the not too distant future what are you obsessed with that's the name of this podcast i'm so obsessed oh yes i love that um i get oh wow okay what are you obsessed with? I think, I guess I'm obsessed with creativity <laughs> in a way. Uh, how, how do you um, make those leaps, you know, those moments where uh, uh, you put in all the effort to like research something and figure out and plot this out and find, put images up on the wall. And then how do you make a big leap to solving a problem in a really cool way, an unexpected way, you know, how can you nurture your creativity to do something that amazes even your yourself, you know? 
So I guess that takes us full circle. You were too crazy to be an architect. Your ideas were too crazy for architecture. Although I do want to say, since you're in Southern California, people said that of the Bradbury building, right? That he was too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, George Wyman, who directed, uh, who designed it. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And looking forward to seeing what else you do, not only on Quibi and Short Forum, but back in the movies. We need more women directors. Thank you. Thanks again to Catherine Hardwick for talking with me. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe.